This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrive, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about value, delivering it, and organizing your entire company around your customers' perceived value. Today, I am thrilled to have Rod Collins, who is an author, a keynote speaker, and a consultant in the area of organizational transformation. Rod, welcome. Mark, good to be here. Um, thrilled to have you. Why don't you describe for people what what that means. Um, I love what you do. I, I worked at one of the companies who's kind of the archetype mm-hmm. for what you do. So I'm really familiar with it, but why don't you share that with, with our listeners? Sure. And uh, as you mentioned, I, I write and speak about organizational transformation, and which really is about transforming organizations from centralized top-down hierarchies to self-managed peer-to-peer networks, which I believe will become more and more important as we get deeper and deeper into the 21st century. And the reason being is that the fundamental nature of business problems has radically shifted. All throughout the industrial age, and especially in the 20th century, our business problems were essentially mechanical in nature. They were issues of complication. And the thing about mechanical problems is you can divide the problem into parts you can assign parts through division of labor to different areas. You can tell them to stay focused on just their particular part. Uh, those parts can be solved uh, independently and centralized leaders can put those parts back together again when the work is done. Um, however, now that we're in the digital age and we're in a rapidly changing world, our problems are now are complex, which means they can only be solved holistically. And centralized hierarchies are not designed to solve holistic problems. Peer-to-peer networks do a much better job of that. And so what that means is instead of organizations being organized by uh, functional departments or what people call silos, a company is organized into teams, usually of 10 to 12 people, cross-functional teams. uh, Who can work more effectively in a holistic fashion. And then another a uh, big radical difference is centralized hierarchies. Key role is the boss. In networks, there are no bosses. Uh, power is distributed across the teams and, and decisions are made in the context of those teams. And I know you worked in a organization that was organized like this, which was W.L. Gorn Associates, which has been organized this way since the late 1950s. And I think the tie into the work that you do and what's interesting to your listeners is that when you shift from a centralized top-down hierarchy to a self-managed peer-to-peer network, who you work for shifts. 
uh, in centralized hierarchies, people essentially work for the boss. They worry about what the boss thinks. In networks, you're focused on the customer. And so the fundamental purpose of a business shifts as you do this transformation. The purpose of a business is no longer to create shareholder value. It's to create customer value. Yeah. And you want to rush and say, just to close this out, that doesn't mean shareholder value is not important. Shareholder value remains important. It's just the reward you get when you deliver customer value. Yeah. Um, shareholder value is a reward for a job well done in delivering yeah. customer value. Um, a couple of things while you were uh, giving that, that explanation. One, um, the uh, the the first response from somebody who doesn't really understand the problem is, oh, man, that sounds a lot like communism. And um, it isn't. It's actually a much more democratic way of running an organization. Uh, and the reason it, you accuse it of sound like a communism is because it takes a lot of courage for a leader to let go and be led by his team, his yeah. or her team. Uh, the second thing is um, what I have noticed when I was at Gore, and then I actually I went to a super hierarchical organization. I went from no organization, no bosses, no managers, no leaders to um, a former telephone company, which was a mono, you know regulated monopoly with twelve layers of twelve management layers, <laughs> and so the it was really actually in retrospect what a gift to see the two ends of the spectrum in within six weeks of each other, uh, which was how long I was out of work between the two. Um, what I have noticed is that the hierarchical organization where a manager breaks all the work apart, separates it, jobs it out, creates silos to do it, that works great. And, and you said mechanically, but I also want to say um, Michael Porter, the great uh, Harvard business professor, really talks about an organization and a company that interacts with its environment, uh, mm -hmm. its competitive environment, its regulatory environment, uh, its competitors, its suppliers, and so forth. And so the company does not form its own future so much of what a company has to do and the way a company has to organize is shaped by all of those different environmental factors. And as soon as you realize that, you realize that static processes designed by your manager work perfectly as long as two assumptions. One, the manager understood everything about the environment and managed that and created this disassembled, you know, managed this, uh, subdivided division of labor scheme perfectly to that system. And two, the system didn't change. Mm -hmm. As soon as something changes in your environment, some element of fit between your processes and your environment, there's a lack of fit. And suddenly you're out of sync with your environment. And in most hierarchical organizations, something has to break pretty bad. The wheels People keep on saying, well, you know, it's a proven process. We're going to keep doing it that way until a customer leaves, until there's a defection, until there's a huge quality problem, until there's a 737 max and, you know, hundreds of people die in a crash. Um, and that assumption 
the world is no longer staying the same. The world is changing faster and faster. Um, and the assumption of this visionary leader who can successfully continue to roll out the organizational changes, I just think that becomes a, a shakier and shakier assumption. Your thoughts? Mm -hmm. So a couple of things. Uh, one, you started out, and, and I appreciate you doing this, pointing out self-managed networks is not communism. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. Communism is the most draconious, draconian form of a centralized top-down hierarchy. Every time communism takes root, there is a, an elite, and that elite exercises coercive power in, in the most, again, draconian ways. Uh, and so communism is one thing on paper, but it's entirely something different in practice. And that is because it is just another form of a centralized top-down hierarchy. Self-managed networks are actually operate very consistent with free market principles. Because there are no bosses, uh, these organizations become a market of ideas. And those ideas have to gain traction within the organization. And so these peer-to-peer these -peer networked organizations are essentially teams of teams. And in this team of team process, they leverage the collective intelligence of everyone rather than the intelligence of an elite few in order to, to make decisions. And it's actually faster, more efficient, and more effective. Yeah. You know, another thing, one other thing you pointed out, you, you sure. mentioned um, about, you know, uh, airplanes uh, uh, in your comments. And it made me realize one of the places where this transformation has happened, and it happened a couple of decades ago, is in the cockpit. United Airlines in the, in the early 1980s was finding out most of its crashes were caused by pilot error. And what was driving the pilot error was the hierarchical organizational structure of the cockpit. And at the time, there were two rules. One is the captain is always right. And rule two is if the captain is wrong, see rule number one. And they realized this was causing problems. And so what United Airlines did and every other airline followed suit is they transform the cockpit from top-down hierarchy into a peer-to-peer -peer network. And they and United put all its pilots through, uh, um, uh, they videotaped the training so they could behaviorally see. And the norm was changed. And so instead of if you speak up, you could be fired, it was if you don't speak up when you should, you can be fired. There were clear, clear norms on when different people in the in the cockpit can uh, can interject and interact. And this is one of the reasons why today there are so few air crashes, especially in the United States. I mean, I, I'm, I've been around a while. I, when I first started working, I was a travel employee and I was fully cognizant that generally there are about three to four air crashes per year in the 70s and the early 80s. That has gone away. And the reason is this organizational transformation that happened in the cockpit. Yeah. All right. So A, it works. Uh, I actually had an interesting conversation this morning with another colleague and she, I was talking to her about this and she says, how, how do you organize? How does something get done? How do you build a team? Because, you know, what I was describing for her is that in a self-managed organization, a leader who's leading a project yeah. says, you know, this project has now grown to four people's worth of work. 
and they go out and find the four people that they think they need. And those four people divide the work up. Now, I would, when I had a new product idea and I could actually uh, convince four people to join me on this new product idea, um, which is number one, right? You had to have enough credibility, but you had to be able to sell the idea. And nobody wanted to work on a project that wasn't going to go anywhere. So it was very much a marketplace of ideas. But then once you got those four people, I, I would recruit one person who had some engineering experience, one person who was in manufacturing. And so I would roughly recruit the right skill sets. But when those people organized themselves, it was very much, here's four people's worth of work. This part here, I'm really good at. And actually, I have training for, or I have the certification for, and that's about half a person's worth of work. And you've got this half a person. And now, now we've got the rest of this work that multiples different of us could do. How are we going to divide that? Well, I hate that kind of work. Could you do that? I don't mind that. So the actual, the team, rather than a top-down job description being force fit on individuals, each of whom has their own unique skill sets and interests and tastes, that team could divide the work. And an interesting thing happens. One, you uh, actually people choose their work. And two, in the choosing of the work, you committed to the other members of the team, which is your work and which is not. So rather than a job description, which I'm just trying to get out of, or I'm trying to do to the minimum of my ability, I have committed to the team, my contribution to the success of the team. And uh, Gore had a very ironclad principle. You're free to make whatever commitments you want. When you get into one of those teams of four people, you're nobody can force you to do anything. You make those commitments voluntarily, but once you do, it's ironclad. You are accountable mm-hmm. for whatever you promise to. And so, um, and the team holds you accountable. And if you aren't, if you don't do it, then there's all kinds of compensation and your credibility within the organization goes down and you never get invited on another team. And pretty soon you're a person without work and maybe you want to find something else to do. Yeah. So it's a self-cleaning system. Yeah. You know, what it does drive, as you're describing, a higher level, not a lesser level of accountability. When you're accountable to multiple peers rather than to a single boss, Um, you are helping to create a more powerful organization because you're helping everybody to do their job in a way that works for the whole group. Instead of, and and a lot of times in hierarchies, people take the attitude, I work for my boss, the rest of you be damned. And so it doesn't help the cross-functional pollination that's so necessary to deliver customer value. One other thing I'd like to mention for people who may have had this experience, if you've ever participated in an escape room, which are all over the country, and this is uh, for those who haven't done this, uh, uh, you go in, you you put into a room, uh, you bring your own group. Usually people do this in the context of families. And I, I did one recently with my daughter and her family. And you have an hour to find your way out of the room and you're given very, very little direction. It's kind of like uh, a scavenger hunt, but only it's it's, it's done within the context of, of a room. And uh, we did one recently, as I mentioned. And when we came out, my son-in-law said, you know, I don't know everything that was done here, but we solved the problem. And 
anybody who's been in an escape room will recognize if somebody stood up and said, I'm in charge, I will distribute all of the work and, and everything that we're going to do has to be run through me. You will never escape the room in an hour. It will not happen. By self-managing, as we did, uh, what was happening is different people were doing different things according to their strengths, as you described them. And in some instances, uh, at one point, there were six of us in the room, and, and we, we just organically went into teams of two, solving different problems based upon our strengths, and we were able to, to get out of the room. But for anyone who's had that experience, you can see how effective a self-managed team can be. Yeah. So, Rod, I want to um, focus this discussion on the topic of the Value Clarity Podcast. Yes. Which is delivering customer perceived value. And again, let's constant, let's contrast that hierarchical team with the self-directed organic team. Um, rather than describing them both, describe how the hierarchical team tries to deliver value. We'll talk about that. And then we can describe how the self-directed team does tries to do the similar thing. Well, I think the hierarchy... Uh winds up being focused on from a practical standpoint on the wrong value because the prime value in a hierarchy is pleasing the boss and doing whatever it takes to move internally within the organization and oftentimes there's not a focus on the customer within a hierarchy and many times hierarchical leaders will spend they they will consider it successful if they never have to interact with a customer and so one <laughs> of the I'm gonna, I'm gonna interject Sure. I mean, uh, it was a joke in one at, at the Lucent company. It's like, we're, we love our customers as long as we can keep them downwind. <laughs> All right, continue. Customers in hierarchies are the intervening variable between product and profit. And that's how they're seen. The hierarchy is focused on shareholder value. It's focused on producing the bottom line. And it's focused from a practical standpoint on how do I move up the ladder within this organization? The problem with hierarchies is they exist within their four walls and they really don't have a practical day-to-day sense of what's outside those walls. Yeah. If you work in a network, okay? Now let's, let, let's hold sure. off on the network because sure. uh, some of the characteristics of the hierarchical is you, you said we're working to please the boss and of course, the boss thinks they know what's going to please the customer. So in a two-step way, you're trying to meet the boss's vision of what the customer thinks is valuable. Right. And the boss, who is of a mindset to <coughs> excuse me, to not contact necessarily the customers for themselves, they go create a silo that is voice of the customer, who surveys customers. And so you get this uh, very, and of course, a survey, you only get the answers to the questions you've asked, not the questions you knew to ask. And you only get the answers in uh, on a seven point Likert scale or a yes or no percentage answering yes or no. So the, the, the scaps, yeah. the gaps between what is actually needed and what gets delivered are customer don't doesn't really have a system to understand the customer. Yeah. Um, the boss doesn't have a, a, a system for understanding the customer. The boss 
gives that imperfect vision to their team through an imperfect set of work designs. And the team works to what they think the boss was asking for. And so there's all these error points. So that is delivering customer value in that traditional hierarchical sense. Now, description. Yep. Right now, compare that. Now, now let's go to the to the self-managed team. And right. so, as I mentioned before, the self-managed team really operates by the principles of free market. And let's take Morningstar. That's another company that's a self-organized firm. It's a, a tomato processing company in California that went from startup to the world's largest tomato processor, probably because it uses this alternative management model. But if you talk to them, they'll tell you they're working for the mission. And the mission is the value that's delivered to their customers. And so every single person, not just the bosses, is focused on what's important to the customer. And no one point of view within an organization is going to capture correctly what's customer value in the marketplace. Because a lot of times, customers buy products for different reasons then you created them. So in a hierarchy, you're likely not to discover that. But if you are working in a network structure, you're more likely to be following the principles of, of, uh, of lean. And as you're building, because you need to succeed to get compensated, as you pointed out earlier, you're more likely to check in with the customer at, at critical milestones to see if what you're creating is in line with what they value and then you're making adjustments accordingly. And so you in, in a network structure, when you're working in this team decision-making environment, you are always focused on how does this connect with customer value? Because that is what determines your success, not whether you're climbing up and down an internal ladder, but rather whether you are deter- delivering external customer value. Yeah. And now at Gore and in in my practice, we talk with sales teams because regardless of how decentralized or centralized your organization is, the sales team in either of those models, uh, it has a heavy load to to bear in terms of the customer interface. Uh, I talk about that more, but the idea is the sales team should not be pitching their features and benefits. They should be understanding the customer outcomes. Customer outcomes are the basis of value. Value is the desirability of the outcomes a customer achieves when they do business with you. And each customer has different outcomes and each person cares about, if it's the same outcomes, they care about different outcomes a different amount than you expected them to. And so it's the salesperson's job or somebody in that customer interface job to find out what this customer thought of this outcome this time. And that way, when you know that and you know the outcome and the dollar impact of that outcome, now you can price more profitably. Yes. Yeah. And you know, salespeople are critical resources in organizations. And I think in hierarchies, they're terribly underutilized because in top down hierarchies, the way it works is salespeople are told, you need to deliver this. You need to meet these goals. 
Whereas I, when you get into the network structure, salespeople are resources into the mind of the market, into the mind of the customer. Yeah. And they need to be, they need to be listened to because yeah. oftentimes it's the salespeople who are the first ones who are seeing changes in the marketplace. And so if they are listened to rather than talked to, then this becomes an important resource that you can build early into your uh, product development process so that you are A, more likely to deliver customer value and B, more likely to increase sales because you're doing a good job of that. Yeah, you know, you you said you articulated a really critical phrase and I wanna make sure everybody caught it. You talked about the mind of the customer. In a hierarchical organization, there's there's actually a silo that is charged with getting the voice of the customer. Yeah. And those are two very different things. You can tell me what the customer's voice is, but I'm really interested in the mind of the customer. Right. Right. The the second thing is you kind of hinted at it, but I, I tell this story. Sorry, listeners, if you've heard this about seven times already in, during over the course of this podcast. When I started out, uh, I worked in a company where there was four roles that touched the customer, two of which had sales titles, inside sales and outside sales. And we told the other, and we often told the other two, uh, just shut up, do your job, get in, get out. Don't have a business conversation with the customer, stay in your lane. Today, I have clients in technology businesses that have 12 or 15, and I have one that has even more than that, roles that regularly touch the customer. Yeah three of which have sales titles and nine to 12 don't have sales titles. And we still those nine, tell those nine to 12, shut up, do your job, get in, get out, stay in your lane, don't have a business conversation with your customer. The salespeople in today's hierarchical, super siloed organization are now minority shareholders in the customer interface. Mm-hmm. They get possessed, they get more possessive because it's hierarchical and they, they're feeling threatened. And so they get more possessive and more exclusionary and more defensive. But the fact of the matter is there is an installer, there is a project manager, there is a, a customer service agent who go, gets onto your customer's factory floor and get and rubs elbows with somebody at your customer who your salesperson can't even hope to get time with doesn't even know their name, doesn't know their needs. And that installer, that inside salesperson, that 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 service engineer can have a business conversation that gets the company insight that sales can't hope for. Yeah. That's not even that. So the, as you said, in the beginning of this interview, it's becoming more and more important that we go from hierarchical to self-directed or to, to network. And that's one of the reasons why is that we've become so hierarchical, so siloed, and the silos have become sub-silos and the sub-silos have become soda straws that there's every time you increase the number of silos, you multiply the number of cracks for stuff to fall through. Yeah, yeah. So let me build on what you're talking about, because I think this is really important and and bring this home to our listeners who are working in traditional organizations who may be thinking, well, I like this network idea, but, 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 you know, I don't have the wherewithal to change my company. And 
Uh, in a past life, I was uh, an executive with the Blue Cross Blue Shield Federal Employee Program, and we were a hierarchical organization. And one of the tools we use to transform ourselves into a network, if you will, temporarily, is we had something that is now called the Collective Intelligence Workshop. And we would do this at the beginning of major projects, if systems conversions, uh, if we wanted to improve a process. And the, the idea is you want to get the whole system in the same place at the same time, because that's where you can do holistic thinking. And a lot of the work we did in the health insurance industry was about creating systems. People are familiar with that. But whenever we had these sessions, I always called in people who were close to the customers and close to the where the processes were delivered. And the people close to the customers, our salespeople in particular, said, why am I coming to a systems meeting? And I said, because you're the voice of the customer. You're the people we have who are closest and interacting with customers. If we could get customers in this room, I, I'd love to do that, but it's not practical. And please speak up. And they smiled and said, we can do that. And the value that was brought by having them in the room was powerful, but their interactions with the people who were building the systems were important because they had a greater sense of what it took to deliver what they had to sell. And it was the it was the interactions between all of these different perspectives. And it usually took about, about 40 to 50 people in the room to get a full microcosm of the business. But by their being able to react to each other as we were developing ideas, we were able to, uh, to uncover the difficult things we needed to connect much more quickly than what happened in the typical hierarchical company where you're passing things through what the systems people call waterfall. You may be well into something before you discover there's a misalignment. By having the whole system in the room for two or three days and thinking it through, these misalignments were identified before we did the work, which is where you save time, it's where you save money, but more importantly, you, you maximize the quality that you're going to deliver for your uh, customers. And so anybody who has the wherewithal to bring people together can do one of these types of sessions. Yeah. So when you work with a, a new client, that's one of the things you do is, is the systems workshop. The collective intelligence yeah. workshop, yes, to, to give them a sense of, of how it feels to work in a network context. Is that kind of like the first of three steps? Uh, it, it Usually you do, if you're working on a major project, you want to do one of these sessions about once every two or three months because things change. Yeah. And by getting the whole system in the same space, when you do a pivot, nobody's blindsided. And so you're you're able to to move quickly. So often, if a C-suite team makes a pivot that doesn't make immediate sense to the people doing the work, there's a lot of pushback. So if you want to eliminate pushback, have people's fingerprints on things. Also, too, in our complex world, you can't solve problems strictly in a C-suite anymore. You simply don't have enough information. The people doing the work know so much more about the work. Yeah. And um, that was just a common harangue at Gore. Like, stop asking leaders. We we didn't have managers, but we did have leaders. Yeah. And the leaders knew enough to say, I don't know. Ask the people doing the work. Yeah. 
And, and, yeah. and in these sessions, you have senior executives and people close to the processes in the same session with the same voice because these are facilitated. And the executives who participate in these, at first a little reluctant, but rather quickly said, I'm getting a lot of good information here. These are extremely valuable to me. Cool. Well, Rod, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more and engage? I, I've got a website. It's rodcollins.net. And uh, if you go there, you'll get access to my books. I have a Substack column. Um, and if anybody's interested in, uh, I do keynote speaking on this topic and information related to that is there as well. And everybody, I love, you know, Rod and I are kindred spirits in this stuff. Uh, we explain it in different ways, but we are absolutely kindred spirits. Yeah. Rod, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mark. Great to be with you. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that customer value only exists between your customers' ears, which means that sales, marketing, business, the whole thing is an awful lot more like brain surgery than you thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old don't know value This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.